welcome to Two Sober Chicks Podcast Speaker Series Edition. I'm Lisa, half of the dynamic duo of Julie and Lisa, and we welcome to our show today, Danny from New York City. Celebrate the morning. Thank you very much, guys. My name's Danny. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to not, I'm not going to tell you my sobriety date yet. I'm going to tell you later. I will tell you that my original sobriety date was August of 77. And some years later, I picked up a drink. So, you know, I don't really need to talk about what brought me into AA. I'll get around to some of that stuff, I guess. But being that this is a beginner's meeting, it's just as important to talk about what I did to get two things. Not only what did I do to get sober, what did I do to stay sober? Because they're two different things. You know, and if I forget one, it's going to screw up the other. And I want to say this publicly, and I'm not going to. Stacy is a dear friend of mine. She's like a big sister to me. And when we talk about service on the phone and when we talk about God, I feel like I'm talking to a special person. So, sis, thank you. I love you. And thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you for asking. Um, so, like I said, my original sobriety date is August of 77. I was 24 years old. I was sleeping in a park or on a bush or in a basement somewhere, wherever I could find, in the same neighborhood that my parents lived in, mind you. They loved Danny, their son. They despised Danny the drunk. And they didn't want to have anything to do with him or didn't want him around. And you know what? I don't blame them a bit. If the roles were reversed, I think I would have did it a lot sooner. But I don't think that anybody, okay, I should speak for myself. I definitely did not end up in Alcoholics Anonymous by mistake. You know, I didn't wake up one day and say, God, my life is falling apart. Nothing is good. Everything is horrible. I think I'll go. No, that's not true. The, the real thing is I'm having a great day today. I think I'll go to AA. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody wakes up that way going to their first meeting. Maybe they do. I haven't met anybody. But I had actually went to a meeting in, 19, in 1971. I went to my first AA meeting. And I was seeing, uh, I was going to an outside counselor and they were feeding me ant abuse and I was drinking on the ant abuse and just everything was a mess. And I did what I always did. You know, what, when I didn't want to face the truth anymore for whatever given situation it was, I ran. And, uh, and I did that a lot through my life. Any responsibility, any pain, any growing up that I had to do. If I couldn't get around it, I'd just run away from it. So anyway things had been put into practice that I didn't even know. And uh, one day, you know, that blessed day where the pain is so hot, so deep, the loneliness is so heavy, the fear is so unbelievable, but you get on your knees and you say, God, please help me. And we end up here. How cool is that? You know, I, I think, and I'm not one of these history guys, but when I think of us many years ago, they used to just throw us in insane asylums. I had this sponsor that always said, keep drinking and you'll end up in a padded room drooling on yourself, which was never a pleasant thought, but the truth. So I, it's, it's amazing when the wheels get set in motion, what happens. So, I mean, I was just a boy. I got 12 step this day. And I don't remember anything that the guy said. I wanted to go to a hospital because I had been in a hospital. They gave me pills. 
there was no withdrawal. It was fun. Well, no, it wasn't fun, but it didn't hurt as much as it should. And you notice I said, as it should, because I think the harder I am to get off this stuff, the more I want to stay. Um, so I remember these two guys, they came to my house and I wasn't exactly like a domestic pet. Um, I don't know where the, where the heck that came from, but uh, I remember the last thing they, and I remember two things. I said, they said, I had never met anybody like this. They said, we know how you feel. We can help. I don't know why I believed them. Maybe it was the look on their face. The one guy was a, was a priest that always wore his collar and you had to call him Father Tom. He insisted. And the other guy was this guy, Morgan Daly, who was uh, a retired streetcar conductor. And he is he had the bluest eyes of any human being I have ever met on this earth. And that's what I concentrated on. And he had this he had this like, I don't know if I could explain it. He had this. I won't hurt you. It'll be OK. We'll help you. Because I don't know about anybody else, but I didn't believe anybody was there to help me or, or do for me. Or I was just going to ride out into this existence until I wasn't here anymore. And that would have been perfectly fine. God, did I cheat myself with some stuff? What I have. Anyway, uh, they told me that be outside the house at eight o'clock tomorrow and somebody's going to come and pick you up. Well, who? Somebody. So I'm standing outside doing my dance at eight o'clock and his car pulls up. I have to tell you this little story. I don't want to get lost in stories here. But so about a month before that, I was in an insane asylum. And uh, because I was a drunk, that's the, that's God's honest truth. I was there because I was a drunk. But that's not what the doctor said. The doctor said I was crazy. So anyway, I found out that they had a meeting there. This is this is unbelievable. You know, walking in the footprints of God. Um, I went to, I heard that there was an AA meeting downstairs and I went to the nurse and I was like, can I go to this AA meeting? No, you're not here for alcoholism. You're here because you're crazy. So I, I actually, I begged her. I really did. I, I never thought of that till this moment. I actually begged her, please let me go. I need them. See, I knew I needed you guys. Lord, Lord, I didn't know how much I needed you, how much my life needed you, how much my soul needed you. And uh, I went down to the meeting and they had God, not gods, you know, they had like the people working in St. Asylum's protect everybody from me in my pajamas. And they were taking me out before the meeting ended. I remember this. There was a lot of people there. I don't remember how many. There was a lot of people. I raised my hand and the guy acknowledged me. It wasn't, it wasn't an open discussion. He was sharing his story. But And uh, I yelled up to him from the, from the back of the room. I want your phone number. Now, I got to tell you. I'm carrying a meeting into a, <laughs> into a treatment place. And, and somebody in pajamas with guards asked me for my phone number. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. But Bernie never did. Bernie said to me, come up here, kid. And he get, I love that word. That's what I grow up on in AA. Come here, kid. Do this, kid. Nobody calls me that anymore. Stacy, you can call me kid for now. On. Anyway, uh, so he gave me his phone number. I threw it away. I lost it. I don't know what I did with it. But after I was 12-stepped and the car pulled down the block to pick me up, it was that guy. Of all the people in AA and all of Queens, 
it was that guy I met in the hospital. And it was that guy that picked me up to take me to my first meeting. My first sponsor, Bernie Sachs. May you rest in peace, my brother. You know, so I saw in the chat earlier, what is a sponsor? And I don't want to go contrary to what you guys tell, but I've been very fortunate over the years. I've, I've fell into, I've fell into sponsors and, and, and fellowship around me has, has just been incredible. And frankly, I find very often hard that I don't deserve it, but AA don't care whether you deserve it or not. You know, that's the cool thing about people. You know, somebody comes up to you in AA and they want you to slip you their phone number. I don't want to leave you alone. They'll find a way. They'll stick it in a book or something and hand it to you. But you know, we, we always try to find the way because I know I know how bedeviling booze is and alcoholism is. And I know that left to my own devices, I'm screwed. So it was always suggested that I get a home group and a sponsor. And I remember, I remember they told me to go out and get a little phone book, which is unfortunately got lost. But I think it would be cool anyway, even with cell phones. You know, I had this little phone book that I carried around. And, I, and part of my job was I had to go and ask people for their phone number. And then I had to actually call them because my sponsor would say, who'd you call today? And after a couple of times, nobody. <laughs> I figured it was easier to just make the call. And then that night, Another guy picked me up. This was a tag team. And another guy picked me up in a, a gold duster pulled down the street. And I see an arm come out in a handle like this. And I walked over and I said, how'd you know it was me? Now, it took me many years to realize that I was standing right in front of the address. <laughs> uh, but that was my sponsor then and my sponsor today. For almost 47 years, he has been my sponsor. I am not sober that long. Um, so, you know, and then they introduced me to a coffee pot. And of course, no, like nobody else, I said, I don't drink coffee. I had never had a cup of coffee in my life when I came here. I wish I could say that now. Um, but I said to the guy, I don't drink coffee. He said, he just looked at me like that puzzling look that sponsors get. Like, what the hell are you talking about? I didn't ask you if you drank coffee. I told you you're going to be making coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I, I'd like to tell you different, but I just came and I listened. That's all I did. Actually, I used to go around the room all the time. I, you know, it sounds so lame that I'm saying used to, I'm sorry about that, but it was a little bit different, a little bit. But, you know, they would they would go around the table and, you know, everybody would have their turn in part. And I would just point to the person next to me. I wouldn't give you my name. I wouldn't tell you who I was or anything. I just pointed to the person next to me. I don't think that was important. I think what was important, I was there. The most important word for my recovery in AA has been yes. You know, because it's usually the things that I object to, like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Well, it's uncomfortable. Who the heck wants to be uncomfortable? But I know today that sometimes I have to go through the discomfort to get to the comfort on the other side. I had been unemployable and, and I started taking civil service tests because I guess that's what I was meant for. And I ended up becoming a New York City firefighter. And that was a dream of mine from the time I was a little kid. And uh, I was thinking about that this morning. You know, my sponsor told me, you know, we make light of what they say to us sometimes, but, but think this, this is what happened. 
did I just say dig this? God almighty. <laughs> anyway, he made me buy the chief every week. It was a civil service newspaper in New York that had federal, state, and job and city job listings on. And the first couple of times we went through it, he would go through it with me. Okay, you're going to apply for this one. You're going to put, no, you can't do that one. And he would actually, like he was my father, go through it. And, you know, I have to say this, and it's something that I've worked on over the years, but my first sponsor, Bernie, was more, than a, more of a father than my father ever was. And that's very painful for me to say. I wish I remembered them in the same thought, but I don't. Anyway, so I started taking tests, and I remember this. These might not seem important now, but, you know, I was un unemployable, and now I'm, I'm being sworn in as a New York City firefighter. It was a dream. No, it wasn't a dream. It was an impossibility. I wasn't destined to have a life. I wasn't destined to be loved. I wasn't destined to have friends and to be cared for. In my mind, I was not destined for that. Guess what? That's exactly what I've been given. So so then I get, I get the girlfriend, you know, and then the girlfriend gets serious and I get the wife and she has two kids and that's not a complaint and it's not a sarcasm. Believe me, my son's coming down to Florida the next couple of days and I could be for four or five days with my granddaughters. I'm a happy man. So he's, so we started to work through the steps. We started to do the things, you know, how I mentioned before what I'd have to do to stay sober. And I didn't know it, of course, but this was the stuff that I was going to have to do. You know, that old thing, if you stick to the basics, you never have to go back to the basics. And, but I was always with someone. You know, that's the cool thing about it. You could be alone or you could be a we. I'd rather be a we. And not that sometimes I don't like being alone. I like being alone with my own thoughts. When I'm in the gym, <laughs> sounds silly. The gym is my church. It's where I do, and I don't praise the iron. That's not what I'm saying. No, because like, and there's always a time in the middle of a workout where I'm resting and it's, and my thoughts go to something else but me. You know, they either go to, they go to what's going on in my life and what could I do better than I did yesterday? Or thank you, God, that I'm able to do this. You know, that I, I didn't destroy all of me that I can't, I can't do, still do some things that I love. And I, I also found that in AA, I needed to, after, after a while, like, you know, I was going to probably, you know, there's always that contest when you come in with AA or, or around then it was with all the people with 90 days and you'd all like quietly, like talk to each other. I have 101. Ah, I got 102. You know, if you had the most, you were the best. But I, I guess what I'm really saying to that is we also kind of, as much as we, we held on to our sponsors, we held on to each other also. And that's what I was found. I love that line in the book that says, with book in hand, the fellowship will form around you. God, did I need a fellowship around me? So life got good. You know, I, anything that I ever thought was possible happened. And what was my response to that? Was my response, thank you? No, 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 no. It was my thought, I don't know how to be a father, help me. No, 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 no. Why am I doing that? You know, the truth was I had no idea. I had been sober a while and I had done some stuff, but there was a lot I needed to learn. 
And sometimes my pride and ego prevented me from asking the questions that I needed to answer or prevented me from listening to the things I need to hear. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody because I have these like these uh, hearing aids that I have. When somebody tells, when I hear something too close to home, I could shut those hearing aids off and then I can't hear. What? I know I didn't hear that. You ever go to a meeting and you share something at the meeting and, and the person right after you says the same exact thing that you said? And like, it's something new. I'm like, did I just say that? Anyway, I, because I don't know, I have to be honest with you. I don't know what's going to come after this. And if I offend anybody, I'm sorry. But I've had ghosts follow me around for about 22 years now. And most of the time they're quiet and I know that they're there, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they let me know that they're there. Um, being a New York City firefighter was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And it was also one of the worst. My sobriety, I lost my sobriety. I've never told anybody this but my sponsor. I lost my sobriety on September 12, 2001. I went down there with this chief to work and I couldn't believe what I saw. But when we walked out the window on, onto the field of honor, at least that's what I call it, um, two things went through my head. My sobriety is gone, the buildings are gone, and there is no God. How can there be? And that's not exactly what I said, but how can there be a friggin' God and let this happen? <sighs> thank you for that. It might not seem like I'm saying thank you, but I am. And and again, if I if I offend anybody, I I, I do apologize. I just I have to. I've been carrying it so, so long, I have to get rid of some of it. I just can't carry it anymore. And I asked my sponsor's permission, and I asked Stacy's permission to talk a little bit about this stuff today, because it's not about that, but today it has to be. You know, I've went to meetings since that time, and not once have I heard, I haven't even said it, have, not once have I heard the Trade Center talked about at a meeting. So I know I'm on shaky ground here, thin ice. I realized that. And please do not leave because this is going to get better. Maybe. So I drank. After 24 years, I picked up a drink. It was the only solution I had. You know where it says in the book, you know, I read stuff in the book and I've read them hundreds of times. And maybe I should pay a little bit better attention. Because there's a line in the book that says it doesn't say it may, it might, or anything like the day will come that the only thing that stands between a, you and a drink is the God of your understanding. Now, when you have no God and God cannot exist, how can you have any kind of understanding at all? And even in AA, I've tried to carry this thing on myself, like I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and just... <sighs> You don't need to carry this alone. You know, if you're new here, 
this is a little weird today, but I would beg you to go to another meeting. Um, if you don't hear what you like here, I can, and I can, and will tell you this, that, you know, it's a funny thing that just, the name of the group is the solution seekers. So what is the solution that I need to seek? You know, I can't change what happened. I can change what goes on in the future in my life by doing the right thing. Um, so I've kept that stuff. I haven't kept it quite. I'll tell you a fantastic story. So, and, and the people from my home group, but thank you guys. Thank you so much. Um, this guy, he starts, he moves, he moves to Florida. He only lives about maybe six or seven miles from me, which around here is like, you could throw a stone that far. Anyway, so I would start to see him at meetings. And then one day he asked me if I would sponsor him. And I didn't know anything about him, you know, except that he's a really nice guy. And he really is. He's like one of the finest gentlemen I've ever met in my life. And uh, it turns out that as we're riding together in a car, he's a soldier. He's retired, but he was a soldier. And he was in Iraq. And I'm not going to tell you his name and I'm not going to tell you any more of his story, but he served. So, you know, when I realized what was happening, I was like, you know how it's said that there are no coincidences? Here's a guy with me with all kinds of pain and grief and fear and, and, and rage all built up inside of me. And I don't know what the heck to do. I've been to counseling. I've done all those kinds of things. And believe me, I'm better off because if this was a year ago, we would not be having this conversation. Not that it's a conversation, but, um, but it turns out he's a soldier. And, you know, three, four times a week, we ride together. You can't make that stuff up. You know, just the fact of knowing that, I get a little carried away. Just the fact of knowing that gave me comfort. It gave me a little bit of peace. And so, so for the next three years, I tried to drink myself to death. And that's not, you know, people say that, trust me, I wanted to die. Every stinking day, I wanted to die. They were all better men than me. I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do my job. Why didn't I help anybody? Just a litany of baloney. But it's what I fed on every day. You know, like you say you have two bowls of food, right? On this one here, you have the greatest filly mignon you've ever had in your life with potatoes and fancy carrots and all of that stuff. And on the other side here, there's slop. When I'm in my head, I eat the slop. I don't know if that makes any sense, but so what AA tries to do for me is to send me to the Philly Mignon because that's where I'm going to find a solution. That's where I'm, I am not going to find a solution in my head. You know, it's kind of like the old saying in AA. <laughs> Take my advice. I'm not using it. Uh, and so for the next couple of years, and, you know, and then I started to go away to treatment because it was simple. You know, I would be comforted and I didn't have to, you know, suffer the consequences of what I did to myself. And I would get, because now I, I drink two, three days, I need treatment. It just, alcohol does not do well with my body. And you would think that would be a good reason to keep me sober. It's not. So through that time, I became... You know where it says in the book that this is a soul sickness? 
and, and my body became sicker, but what really became sick was my soul. And that's the part that I couldn't, I hate to say this, and believe me, I don't like saying this, but when, when I say soul sickness, what's going to heal my soul? Love, kindness, peace, all that kind of stuff. There's only one problem. You're going to tell me that stuff and then quietly in my head, I'm going to tell you, I don't deserve any of that. You know what? And I'm saying this like I've never said, it. we of AA could care less what you've done. We care less what you look like. What we do care about is that you stay. Just enough to give yourself a chance. And that's all it is, is give yourself a chance. You know, all of a sudden, I... I I needed pills to stop drinking. I needed, you know, oh, that was a good one. I, I, I got shakes. I, you know, and then I do pills. And when the pills were gone, I drink again. AA gave me the ability to not do anything and get through it. I don't know how coming to a meeting one day changed everything in my life. I didn't feel any different. I didn't see any different. No, I didn't feel any different, but I saw different. See, I think that my job today, and I don't know if I did, but my job today is to give a little bit of hope. And if I could do that, I've, I've earned my seat today. Um, you know, I heard so many times when I was in treatment and going to different things, um, you know what you got to do. You know, and, and believe me, I used that, that I had been around that long because that made me special. You didn't need to treat me like a newcomer, which is a bunch of hooey. And that was a problem. That was, a, that was the problem to get me back. I had become too smart. I knew too much about the book, except I couldn't stop drinking. I knew, I knew so much about AA, except I didn't want to come. You know, I had that little red phone book. I still had that phone book. I didn't want to talk to anybody in there because I wanted to feel sorry for myself. It's amazing how it's almost like I wanted to feel bad because I was guaranteed that's what I was going to get. And I just couldn't crawl out of the pain. I just couldn't. And much like everybody's journey in AA, mine started the same way. Laying in bed, screaming, cursing God for what he had done to me. What did you do to me? Not me, I didn't drink. He did. I'm just suffering the consequences. And then one day, I got on the side of the bed on my knees and I said, God, please help me. And the phone rang. It's a true story. The phone rang and it was a counselor from work, you know, one of those uh, counselor guys. Boy, oh, by the way, I was such a stand up guy that nobody in the New York City Fire Department counseling unit would work with me. I had burned all of them. I had burned all my bridges. I was AWOL from work. How I have a pension today is a gift from God because I did everything I could to tear my world apart physically, spiritually, and mentally. You know, relationship. No, I can't have that job. No, I got to screw that. It's like, it's like I go out of my way to do ugly on me, if that makes any sense. I never said that, but I, I think it kind of does. It was like, I almost resented people that treated me well. Why are you treating me nice? If you only knew what I've done. 
I do. <laughs> I might not know the details, but I do. And somebody forgave me and I will, and somebody will forgive you. The big job is forgiving myself. You know, when I came back here, I had two lines. I'm going to wrap this up, but I had two lines when I came back here. Yeah, but, and I know. Like anybody would try to talk to me. Those are my two lines because that kept you at a distance. See, that wasn't because I didn't really want to hear what you had to say, but I was supposed to talk to you. But see, I keep you at arm's length and I do it with using I know and yeah, but. And, you know, there's a thing that uh, man in everlasting ignorance contempt prior to investigation. And that was me. You know, I knew nothing about AA. I knew nothing about staying sober. But yet I had I wanted to tell you quickly how you were supposed to treat me. So I went to a meeting and there was this guy, Bobby, and he's an Italian guy. He, the black leather jacket with the pompadour still with the pointy shoes. I kid you not, like out of a comic. I was told to go there and ask this guy to be my sponsor. It was a blind date. I really was. And I go and I went to the meeting. I met him before the meeting and I, you know, officially asked him, would you be my sponsor? And at the end of the meeting, he called me into a corner. There's about five or six guys standing there. These are mon monumental things in my life. And he handed me a piece of, no, he handed me a meeting list. When I came down here and they said, oh, you're looking for where and when? So what the heck is that? Same thing as a meeting list. But they put the meeting list in my hand and it had their phone numbers on it. And he said to me, I never forget this. Now you're one of us, you have a family. It was like I was taking one of those codes, you know? But, uh, and that was the truth. See. It didn't matter what I knew about AA. That wasn't going to keep me sober. It didn't matter what I knew about other things. That wasn't going to keep It didn't matter what I knew about the book at that time. Because all the intelligence I thought I had and everything else was just leading me back to the same place. You know, it's amazing when you sponsor yourself, what happens? Usually never a good thing. And uh, I remember when I picked up that drink, and I'll, I'll cut this off. When I picked up that drink, I remember, oh, my God. What did you just do? And, you know, right before I came back, oh no, this was earlier. I remember saying to my mother one time, the first time I had picked up a drink, you know, cause I came here for a bit and I heard what I needed to hear that people were drinking and coming to meetings. I probably only heard that once out of a thousand people, but of course that's what I heard. So I was going to try that. So I ended up in a two week blackout. And I remember when I came out of it, I was like, I was telling my mother, you know, and of course it's my mother. She thinks I'm wonderful. Um, still does, amazingly enough. My mother is 93 years old, God bless her. Anyway, I, now I forget what I was going to say. Oh, so I said, you know, these people are full of baloney. They don't care. I'm here suffering, suffering. And nobody cares. And she looked at me like, what is wrong with you? They have been here every day. I didn't even know you were there and you still took care of me. Thank you. So, you know, I, I believe that sometimes we, it, it talks about in the book, we stood at the turning point. I believe that sometimes they also stand at the turning point in life. And what are you going to do? You're going to pull up your socks and put your big boy pants on and do what you got to do, or you're going to hide. Sometimes I hide. I'm going to have 20 years in February. Oh, my sobriety date is February 28, 2004, in case anybody wants to know. I have a sponsor that I use. I have a home group that I go to and I try to get involved in AA and my home group. 
And I believe today those are the things that keep me alive. Um, but I don't want to just be alive. I want to be happy. That's why I had to do today what I had to do. And the people from my home group, they know. And thank you for, for allowing me. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I don't know if I talked about alcoholism or recovery, but you got what you got. So thanks, everybody. God that was Danny from Celebrate the Morning. And thank you so much, Danny, for coming and joining us on our online meeting, AA Solution Seekers, found online intergroup AA. If you'd like to join us seven days a week at 7 a.m., I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks.